Luke 17, verse 3. If your brother sins, do what? And if he repents, do what? Forgive him. Yeah. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. We all live in a world where we are sinned against. And as Christians living in this sinful world, we are commanded to forgive. And this came to my mind because of two different conversations I have had within the last couple of weeks with people about forgiveness. And in both of those conversations, the question, the essential question was the same. And the question was this, this, if what if somebody sins, but they're never repentant? How do we respond to that? Are Christians supposed to forgive someone who doesn't repent? Jesus says, if he repents, you, you just go on and on and on. You just forgive, right? But what about, what about if he doesn't? And I, the answers that I gave, you know, I didn't, didn't think it was an easy sort of one-sentence answer. It was a more involved answer. Um, and I just thought maybe it would be helpful for us all to, to be reminded of this this afternoon. So the question is, again, if what if someone sins and does not repent, should we forgive them? Let me add, throw out a few thoughts. Um, we are supposed to forgive as the Lord forgives, right? Ask you a question. Does the Lord forgive everyone? Does he forgive unrepentant people? Well, <laughs> maybe that helps us begin to think about the complexity of this question. Um, there is a sense in which God is loving and gracious and kind in, a, in general to the world. But it's also true that those who refuse to repent and bow the knee before the Lord will not experience the Lord's forgiveness in, an, in any kind of ultimate saving way. Um, so the question is, what about us? Should we forgive the sins of someone who does not repent? And so I'm going to say in the shortest way I can that the answer is no to that question in the strictest sense of forgiveness, but yes, in a broader sense in which we usually use the term forgiveness. Let me unpack that now. And I'm not going to take too long this afternoon to do that, but let me just try to give you the brief outline. Before I do that, let me get to the heart of the matter. What does it mean to do anything that's hard? I mean, would you agree that the saying that Jesus gave, the command he gave here is pretty, um, it's pretty difficult for, for us to accept sometimes. I mean, if your brother sins against you, I'm sorry, forgive me. You forgive him. And then he sins against you again. He says, listen, I, I've really messed up. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And he does it again and again and again, on and on. Do you keep forgiving him, right? I mean, Jesus said, forgive him, forgive him. Forgive. How many times have you gone to God and said, God, I've messed up again. Oh, Lord, please forgive me. Please be patient with me. And hoped that he would forgive you. Right? But this is a hard saying. We all, uh, we all can feel the the tension in our own souls of saying, after a while, I'm just going to say, nope, you get no more forgiveness for me. You've used it up. I'm sorry, my friend. You're at the end of your rope. So it's a challenge. 
And whenever we come to a command like this that seems really hard for us to obey, it's going to be a test of the real um, state of our, of, our, of our faith and of our, of our hearts toward the Lord. So I want to say, before I even answer the question about forgiveness, the heart of the matter is this. Am I willing to do whatever God commands me to do, even if I can't imagine how I could do it? Am I, am I willing? I say, God, I'll, I'll obey you. I don't know how I'm going to obey this, but I'll, I want to obey you. Is that your heart? That's, I think that's where you have to start. Are you, are you able to say, Lord, I am willing, if you will give me the grace to obey, I'm willing to do even the hardest things that you call me to do. Now, once I've said, Lord, I'm willing, then I might turn around and say, now, please help my unbelief but I am willing to do what you want me to do. That gets to the real heart of it. Are you willing to do whatever God says, even if it seems, humanly speaking, impossible? Well, then the next question is, what does it look like to forgive? And are there any conditions for forgiveness? And when we talk about forgiveness, I think we're generally talking about, when we use the term forgiveness, we need to forgive people, we're generally talking about something that the Bible discusses in various ways. And so the answer, I think, needs to be carefully nuanced in a biblical way. And I've, I've found it helpful to think about three types of forgiveness, or you might say three stages of forgiveness. Now, the Bible doesn't spell it out explicitly in this way, but it does talk about each of these three um, responses to people under the umbrella that we might sometimes call forgiveness. So that's why I'm saying that the answer, we want to say everything the Bible says about it. So what does it look like to forgive? I'm going to say that there are three types or three stages. The first is forbearance, the second, release, and the third, restoration. Forbearance, release, and restoration. Let's talk about each of those in turn. The first is forbearance. There is a kind of forgiveness that you might better call forbearance. And the passage for this is Colossians chapter 2. One of the passages for this is Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 12. And here we're told to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, to put on compassionate hearts, to put on kindness to put on humility and meekness and patience. And we do all of this by bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Very closely associated, at least in this context with forgiveness, is this idea of bearing with each other, being forbearing, we might say. Bearing with someone a long time. Sometimes, in other words, you just need to bear with another person. You just need to forgive their the things that they're doing that are troublesome to you. This kind of forgiveness, forbearance, you want to call it a kind of forgiveness, which I think it's not a stretch. This is a kind of forgiveness that you give to somebody who has wronged you un uh, unintentionally. It's not an intentional, deliberate sin against you. They've done it unintentionally. Or it's, it's, a, it's the forgiveness of something 
that uh, someone has done, but it's not a violation of a clear biblical command, and nevertheless it causes you great distress. Or it's this kind of situation where it would not be clear to any outside party as to who really is clearly at fault when you are having a problem with somebody. Some a, a mature Christian looking at it from the outside might have trouble saying, you've sinned, you're the innocent party. It's much more complicated than that. Those kinds of situations, that's what we're talking about here. Okay, Something that someone's done unintentionally, or it's not a clear violation of God's word, or it's the kind of situation where really it, an outside mature Christian looking at it would have a hard time really assigning blame to one side or the other. It's a case where forbearance is needed. And in this case, there's no expression of repentance on that person's part required in order for you to forbear. Because in their mind, and, and, and maybe truly, they have not done anything that's clearly a sin against God. As they understand it, um, they're just living life, but they're bothering you. And so you need to forbear. And there's beautiful examples of this in many places in the Bible. I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the passage that describes what love is like, what charity is like. And it says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient, right? Love is long-suffering. Just think about these words. This is the kind of forgiveness we're describing. Patience, long-suffering, enduring all things. That means you just endure. What somebody's doing that's causing you grief, you're just enduring it, you're just bearing it. In fact, it says it love bears all things in verse 7. It covers all things is the idea. It covers an offense. Now, to be sure, some offenses should not be covered up, right? Are we we're all on the same page about that? If a brother is doing something that is clearly violation of God's word, and there's it's it's a clear unrepentant sin. Should we cover it up? No. So this is talking about something that's different. This is talking about something that's not a clear sin. It's not an intentional thing. It is something that you just need to cover. You just need to come to it and say, I'm just going to cover that with grace. I'm just going to overlook that fault. I'm just going to let my love for that brother or sister put that behind me. It's forbearance. That kind of forgiveness we are all called to toward each other all the time. There's a second type of forgiveness, though, and that is the forgiveness of release. The forgiveness of release. And this is the kind of forgiveness that you grant when someone sins against you clearly and intentionally. So it's clear and it's intentional. This is what separates it from the kind of things that you just need to forbear. Just need to let it go. I mean, if you confronted your husband or wife about all of the things that you should be forbearing about, I just wouldn't want to be in your house. <laughs> right? Forbearance makes families work. It makes churches work. If you were to come to me every time I did something you disagreed with, I just probably would have my phone ringing all the time or with each other. So forbearing, but this is not the kind of issue that you forbear. This is the kind of issue that needs a different kind of 
response because this is a clear and intentional sin. And yet this sin maybe has been confronted. Maybe you've you've gone to somebody and confronted them about this wrong that they've done, perhaps to you, but that person has not acknowledged any wrongdoing or expressed any repentance or sought your forgiveness. Have you ever been in a situation like that? So how do you handle a situation like that? And I can't think of any better passage than Romans 12. Just go back here for a reminder. Romans 12. Um, and look at the descriptions that are here, because this is the very situation that I'm talking about. Somebody who has done something that's clear, clearly wrong, and was intentional. It wasn't an accidental thing. And, and this passage instructs us how to respond to people like that. So here's what it says. Look at verse 14. What's the very first word? Bless. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Here's another one, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. They did evil to me. I'm going to pay them back with evil. Don't do it, God says. But instead, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And verse 19, this kind of gets to the heart of what I'm talking about. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. As it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In fact, to the contrary of getting vengeance yourself personally, he says you should, if your enemy is hungry, verse 20, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here is clear and intentional wrongdoing. Somebody is doing evil. There's no indication that there's any repentance about it. How should a Christian respond in that kind of mistreatment? What kind of forgiveness? Is, is granted in that kind of case. Well, here, if you want to call this forgiveness, here's the way it's described here. Number one, verse 14, bless them. That's a word for speaking words of blessing, not um, cursing them, but using your tongue for good, even regarding your enemies. And one of the best ways you can use your tongue for good even for those who've sinned against you and are unwilling to acknowledge it. One of the best ways you can use your tongue for good to bless them is to pray for them, to pray for them. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let me ask you, is it sin for somebody to persecute God's people? Yeah, clearly sin. Are they repentant about it? Nope, they're still persecuting you. They're your persecutors. So how do you forgive in that sense? Uh, in this sense, you bless by praying. You think of Christ on the cross. Father, forgive them. Stephen, facing his persecutors. Lord, hold this not against them. You pray for them. And then in verse 17, here's another description of it. Repay not evil for evil. Don't repay them 
or they're evil. Now, verse 17, when it says don't repay them, is not prohibiting us from seeking justice when somebody does wrong to us. And we know that because the next chapter turns around and says, there are institutions that God has ordained for the punishment of evildoers, right? And it's God that's doing it. God's punishing the evildoer, but in the case of chapter 13, he's using the civil government. In the case of the home, he's using father and mother. In the case of the church, he's using the discipline of the church. The Lord has means in all of these spheres to deal with true injustice. Somebody's actually sinned against you, and they're hardened in it. They're not going to repent. God has a way for, for that to be dealt with. So when he says, don't repay them for their evil, he doesn't mean that you're not allowed to seek justice at all. He makes a way for you to seek justice. What he is prohibiting is the taking of personal revenge. How often when we take vengeance into our own hands do we pervert justice? Because we are sinful human beings. You're right? We're like Lamech who says, you know, what does he say? <laughs> I will repay him 77-fold or something like that for what he's done for me. I, he does one thing to me, I'm going to wipe him off the map. I mean, there is something in us that, that is rightfully uh, reproached, uh, that is rightfully um, stirred up, I should say, when injustice is done. But when we take matters into our own hands, we so often pervert that justice. So God says, don't repay evil for evil yourself. Verse 18, here's another description of this kind of forgiveness, all right? If possible, as far as it, it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. You can't control everyone and everything, but so far as it depends on you, don't let yourself be the cause of some quarrel. In other words, we're going back here to the idea of forbearance. So, so love them, be gracious, pray for them. And ver uh, verse 19, here's another description, and this really gets to the heart of it, as I say. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. We've already seen that. Don't take revenge yourself. But here's why I said you, you are, you're not prohibited from having any, any justice in the world. God says, leave it to me. Leave it to the wrath of God. God didn't say, leave it to me and I'll turn a blind eye and pretend I never saw it. Just remember, we're all just, just sort of kind of trying to go along and get along, and what all of the wickedness and injustice in the world, it's just going to be. We just have to be loving and accepting of it. I didn't say that. He said, vengeance is mine. I will repay it. But when God repays it, it's right. The justice is perfect. It's not our kind of justice. Leave it to me, the Lord says, and I will repay. This is the essence of this kind of forgiveness. This is why I'm calling it release. I'm releasing this, my desire to take vengeance on what's wrong is happening around me and being done to me. I'm releasing my right to take vengeance on that to God. And I'm going to let God deal with it. Now, God might deal with it through the civil magistrate, through my father or mother, through the church, but God may deal with it in any number of ways, but I'm going to leave it to God. The essence of this kind of forgiveness is release. And you can be certain that God's justice will be perfect and righteous. And the sovereign Lord may bring 
his response to the evil that somebody's done to you in a number of ways, right? How might the Lord respond to the evil that somebody does to you? Well, he might bring immediate judgment on their sin. And he could do that, as I said, through human authority, family, church, government. And it's not wrong to seek the aid of those authorities in the meeting out of God's just judgments. He might do it through direct divine intervention and punishment. The Bible talks about some trouble and sickness and even death being literally the intervention of God against sinfulness, right? So God might do that. When you, you say, God, you've commanded me to forgive this person who has sinned against me. They're, they're unwilling to repent of it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive in this sense that I'm going to release it. Rather than taking vengeance myself, I'm going to release it to you. And Lord, please, would you work this out? And God may answer it by judging that immediately. Or he may answer it by allowing that sin to remain unjudged for some period of time until he takes care of it in his own time. And here's the encouraging thing, and maybe it doesn't seem encouraging if we don't have, we don't face lots of severe injustice, but for those people who do, who are literally losing their lives because of injustice, this is good news. God will make all wrongs right, either now or in the final judgment, but every sin will receive its just recompense. And so, I can be content, rather than taking personal vengeance, to leave it to God, mete out his justice in one of these ways. Or, in fact, God may respond to it in another way. And this may be the most surprising of all. It is for people who know how sinful we are, and that is that God may punish their sin. And notice, none of these, none of these ways that God is going to respond involves not punishing sin. All sin gets punished. But in the third way, God may punish their sin in Christ by uniting them to him in repentant faith. And in that case, I want to ask you, how would you feel? If God were to grant them salvation and he has punished their sin in the person of Christ, if they were to manifest repentance, are you prepared to grant them full forgiveness? Or are you going to still hold on to that enmity no matter what? This is what you might call the Jonah test. Remember Jonah? And at the end of the day, God granted repentance to these people. And then, of course, we all know the story of how Jonah felt about that. Is that me? But the point of this whole verse, verse 19, is that this kind of repentance, which you might call repent, I mean, uh, forgiveness, this kind of forgiveness is releasing the situation to God to leave it to the wrath of God, make room for God's judgment to come however he wills it to come either on that person now or on that person in eternity or on Christ in the place of that person, that justice will be meted out. And then the final verse here, verse 20, he just goes on to say, now, what do you do in the meantime? Well, if your enemy's hungry, what? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. 
And then he makes this statement that we all are kind of secretly hoping means something bad. For you will heap coals of burning fire on his head. That's what I want to do. When somebody's done something bad to me, I want him to feel the pain. But I think the image is probably very, very different. I mean, it is, the image is heaping coal, you know, the enemies at the gate, they're trying to pound the gate down, and you get up on the gate with your coals of fire and dump them on the enemy's head. And uh, they're busy smashing in the gates, and they're thrown back. Uh, if it doesn't kill them, it just, it shocks them, and, and, and they're, they're knocked back in that sense. And I think that's the idea here. What you're dumping down, in this case, is not coals, you're dumping down kindness on their head when they would have expected you to respond exactly like most of the world responds in vindictiveness and anger and vengeance. That's all you care about. You're going to get it however you can, but you respond with praying for their soul. That's that knocks them back. Right. And it may just be that your forgiveness in the sense of releasing it to God and giving grace to them that your forgiveness will do more to soften somebody's heart than all of the railing and ranting and anger and revenge could ever do. So these are what we might call forgiveness, right? On the one hand, forbearance. We're just bearing the thing. We're not bringing it up to them. We're just letting it go, covering it up. On the other hand, release leaving it to God and responding the way God said to respond, even to people who are at enmity with us. Both of these might be called pre-forgiveness or anticipatory forgiveness, I think, because the sins are either not intentional or the people are unrepentant. But this last one really is what you might, what I consider to be really full forgiveness. And I would describe it with the word restoration is here's what the Bible says. We looked at Luke 17, the very beginning, right? If Jesus says, if he comes to you and he says, I repent. Now there's, there's, a, um, there's a condition, right? I repent. There's penitence there. I repent, then you must forgive him. And here's the way he says it. Paul says it in Colossians 3.13. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Okay, so this kind of forgiveness is clearly um, conditioned on repentance on the part of that person. That's the way God forgives. He forgives penitent people. And when somebody comes to you, Jesus says and says, I repent, you must forgive. And you must forgive like God forgives. So how does God forgive? Well, I think you could describe it this way. This kind of forgiveness is movement toward reconciliation that must be granted to somebody who truly repents, confesses, and seeks forgiveness. It's the kind of forgiveness that is willing to move toward restoration. The kind of forgiveness that does more than just release it to God, but it seeks to restore the relationship to the greatest possible extent. And here's why I say that, because that's what God's forgiveness does. I'm supposed to forgive like God does. God doesn't say, all right, I forgive you, but I don't want anything else to do with you. And you know what? That's the way a lot of people think about forgiveness. I forgive them, but I don't want nothing to do with them ever again. Nothing. My heart is dead to them. 
That is not forgiveness. That's not forgiving like God has forgiven you. Right? And you might say, well, that's hard. There's all kinds of complicating circumstances. Well, I understand that. Let me make a few clarifications. Some broken relationships cannot be righteously restored fully to once what they once were. You can't do it. It's impossible. God says not to. For example, a person leaves their spouse and they marry another person. And God brings finally deep conviction to them. And they say, what I did was wrong. It was a sin against God and against my, my partner. God, forgive me. And they go to that partner and they say, forgive me. Now, should I say to them, well, you need to divorce your spouse that you're married to and go back to your first one? No, there are some relationships that cannot be restored fully to what they once were. But forgiveness of this kind moves toward restoration. That's the heart of it. That's the spirit of it. As far as can be righteously mended, it goes, it goes that direction. Another clarification. This, rest, this kind of forgiveness, this restoration, doesn't mean that trust is automatically granted in, in, in the first moment of it. This is restoration um, that, it, that is, is, a, is a process and involves wisdom. Let me just give you an example. So a person may forgive their uncle for his sexual abuse of them when they were a child but it doesn't mean that they should let him babysit their children. Right? That's what I'm getting at. There is a subtle difference between granting forgiveness and rebuilding trust, and that, that kind of trust is going to take some time to rebuild. Both of them, granting forgiveness and rebuilding trust, might keep some distance for a little bit of time, but the one... Uh, an unwillingness to grant forgiveness is aimed at punishing the other person. A willingness to grant forgiveness in this kind of way that seeks to restore the relationship is aimed in that direction. There's a difference in their aim. There's a difference in their desires and their motivations. And one more clarification, this kind of forgiveness is a response to repentance. And I think I've already made that clear. But also we're reminded in the scripture that repentance bears fruit, right? In other words, um, I can imagine a scenario where someone says, well, I'm sorry, eh, I was wrong. Without any, with, and but the, the, the direction of their life is really saying the opposite, okay? Now, I think we ought to give people the benefit of the doubt. But Jesus comes and he emphasizes this. If they say, I'm repentant, you sort of, you just, you kind of take them at their word, right? But there is what John calls fruit in keeping with repentance. And I have to come back then again and say, this does not mean that God waits for us to really prove ourselves, that we're really, really going to do better from now on in order to call us his sons and his daughters. He doesn't hold us at arm's length and say, well, you're, for, you're, you're repentant, right? Well, I'll wait and see if you're really repentant, and then I'll decide if I'm going to forgive you. The Lord's grace is so much out in front, right? 
He's the father standing on the porch waiting for the son to return. And the son falls on his face and he begins to say his message of repentance and he can't even get it out before the father. So that's sort of the spirit of this. We must not be miserly in our forgiveness in this regard, even while we're trying to be discerning. We ought to be discerning, but we ought not be miserly, lest we be like the man forgiven a great debt by the master, and we go out and find a man who's given, who's owes us a little, and we throw him into prison until he pays every last penny. And then, then we'll be all right. Then we'll be on right terms again. No, may God forgive us for that. These, I think, are all nuances of what we might call forgiveness in broad terms from a biblical perspective. So let me put them back on the board again, and we'll be done. Forgiveness can be described in one sense as forbearance. I think we have it. Forbearance, which I think of most explicitly as a kind of pre-forgiveness. I'm just bearing with it. I'm just letting it go. I'm just forgiving it, even though it may not actually be a sin, sin, and uh, the person may not even be of intended. I'm just letting it go. Maybe they did intend it. I don't know. I'm just going to not judge motives. I'm just going to let it go. Forbear. It's pre-forgiveness. It's that spirit that sets us up to forgive in all of the other dimensions. But then there is release, which is a kind of potential forgiveness where we're hoping and praying for actual repentance in that person and doing good to them, even perhaps while we're seeking justice, but we're doing good. This is the kind of forgiveness we must forgive even when someone is not sorry and asks no forgiveness. But then when repentance really comes, when there is truly a change of heart in that person by the mercies of God, then we ought to grant full forgiveness. And that is the kind of forgiveness that aims toward restoration. Spirit that aims for the renewal of that relationship, just like God does not merely wipe sin away, but brings us near when we were his enemies. I hope that this will be something that will be in our minds. You know, you hear about it in the news every once in a while. I, this comes to my mind a lot of times when, when someone is on trial for something really bad that he's done, and you people are interviewed on the news. And one of the questions that interviewers always like to ask is, you know, how do you feel towards this person? And some of those people are are, are brothers and sisters, and they're struggling to know what to say. And they're like, well, I know I need to forgive him, but I don't know if I can forgive him, right? I, I don't know how, how what I can do, what I can say. Or somebody says, you know, I forgive him. I forgive everybody, everything. It's just, you know, how, how should we think about that? Well, I think it takes more than, than uh, just a, a sentence to say, yes, he's forgiven or no, he's not forgiven. What we ought to do is respond rightly in all of these ways to whatever the situation is. And at the end of the day, I think all of us are going to find that the Lord has given us plenty to do in forgiving people that's going to be beyond our capability to do in the flesh. And that's okay. Because in the end, all of the commands that God gives to us are impossible for us. I mean, if we're really doing them the way, the way that pleases the Lord, right? In order to do those, we need him every hour. And the blessing is that he is there for those who call upon him. Well, let's pray that God would grant us the grace to forgive 
even as we have been forgiven. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, help us as your people to work through these things. Lord, every one of your people in here just about is has to grapple with these very issues in the situations that they're in. Lord, we're asking you now for wisdom, for instruction. We have received it today. We're thankful for it. And we pray that you'd give us grace to apply it in our particular situations in a way that honors you. Give us grace and help, Lord. This is beyond us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.